Here's, here's some words that have recently been added to the dictionary, and just want to see if you can guess what they are. For instance, this is the first one. It is a fluffer mutter. It's a sandwich made with peanut butter and marshmallow creme between two slices of white sandwich bread. So when you go out today for Mother's Day, see if you can get a fluffer mutter, okay? And see if they look at you weird. Um, here's a, here's a set, another one is latrophobia. Obviously, that's a fear, right? What do you think that's a fear of? Anybody? Uh, actually, it's a fear of doctors. So if some of you get anxious around Dr. Crutcher, you now know you've got latrophobia. Um, here's another phobia for you, nomophobia. And some of you have this one. What do you think that is? It's an anxiety about having no access to a mobile phone or mobile phone services. I've seen some of you go through this in my own car, honey. Um, now, this, this last one um, is, uh, show the next one, bockety, 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 bockety. It is unable to walk without difficulty. Some of us are bockety. I am. So, anyway, there, there's a word that I feel most of us in the church are familiar with, but maybe we don't pay as much attention to it anymore like we used to. The word's grace. We talk about it. We sing about it. We throw it around a lot at, at church. But, but I, think sometimes, I think sometimes it's easy in this world in which we live that's so harsh, this world that's so hard, uh, this world that's so demanding of us, that we tend to lose our appreciation for the word grace and what it means. Back in the 80s, Kellogg's uh, cornflakes, they did an ad campaign. They found out that a lot of adults had eaten their cornflakes when they were younger but had not tasted their product for a long time. And so they came up with this ad campaign, Kellogg's Corn Flakes, taste them again for the first time. My desire would be that over these next few weeks as we talk about grace, that you would taste it again for the first time. That you would be able to regain a sense of wonder and amazement about grace. I would wish that over the next few weeks we could be renewed with enthusiasm and a deeper appreciation for living in grace, that we'd taste grace again for the first time. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my hope would be today that you would perhaps taste it for the first time in your life. My desire for us all is that we would get a fresh outpouring of grace in our life, a fresh expression, a fresh appreciation because if there's anything that the world needs to know and understand and embrace in these days, it is grace. God wants no one to miss out on his grace. You can miss out on a lot of different things about God. You can miss out on a lot of different things about the church. But the Bible makes it clear that we should not miss out on grace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. The NLT says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The, the passion paraphrase says, watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. Don't miss on grace. If we fail at the point of helping each other receive grace, of showing God's grace, if we fail at the point of demonstrating grace to the world, 
as a church, as followers of Jesus, then we will have failed. If we lead people to ritual but not grace, we fail. If we lead people to rules but not grace, we fail. If we lead people to think right but not to receive grace, then we fail. Look after each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Why? Because without grace, everything turns toxic. It turns legalistic. It turns judgmental. It turns harsh. John 1.14 says that the word Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen him in his glory. Glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We need to be people of grace and truth, not half grace and not half truth. We don't need to be all grace on Monday and all truth on Tuesdays. All grace and all truth all the time. And it's so easy to get caught up in truth. We're asking that question in the world today. What is truth? You know, what, what do you, how can you, you know, where do you get your information to know what's true and what's not true? And in the midst of that, pursuing truth, we can so easily forget that it's about grace as well. We forget that grace comes first in that sentence. We lead with grace because you know what? Nobody really cares about your truth until they understand your grace. We have to lead with grace. A lot of grace. If we're going to talk about grace over these next few weeks, we need a definition. So here's a, here's a definition. You've, if you've been in the church long, you've probably heard this. Grace is the undeserved and unearned favor of God. Now, the secular definition of this, we're talking about even in Bible times, the, the, word, the word in the Old Testament and the New Testament, too, are both about charm, about attractiveness. But, but in the Bible, the way that the Bible uses it and the way that the, the, the Hebrew people and also the way that the Christians, and especially Paul, took this term was to mean something more powerful. In the Old Testament, the term is jinn. It's the favor of God demonstrated towards man. And it's often demonstrated in the Old Testament. You'll see this word attached to in, your, in God's sight or in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, it's the notion that a watchful person looking over you finds favor with you. For instance, Noah found favor with God. That's where this concept, that's where that word is from. And he found grace, he found favor. And now in the New Testament, the word is uh, charos. It's one, it, it's one biblical dictionary said that charos is, is this merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles in us the exercise of Christian virtues. In other words, it's grace that turns us to him as he gives us favor, undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. That grace works in our life to turn us to him to grow us and mature us in him and to kindle in us a desire to become like Jesus. The essence of the doctrine of grace is that old man deserves God being against him because we've rejected him and we've chosen to go our own way and do our own thing. Despite all that, he shows us favor and love. He does it not because we deserve it or because we can earn it, but because he chooses to give it to us. There is nothing you can do today to earn God's love. 
Neither is there anything you can do today to make God love you less. Never love, God will never love you more than he does right now, and he will never love you less than he does right now. He loves you. And the fact of the matter is, for your relationship and my relationship with God, we don't work for grace, we don't work to earn it, but we work from it. We don't work to get it, God gives it to us, but, and then we live in it, and we work out of it in our lives. One thing's for sure, you can't talk about grace without sin. Because sin is what makes grace so important. Grace is impossible to embrace without an acknowledgement that sin has broken our relationship with God. Because grace is what gives God, is what God gives to repair and renew and redeem our relationship with him. I need the undeserved and unmerited favor of God to repair my relationship with him. Because the reality is, all of us, every one of us, if you're here this morning, look around at a couple of people around you, right? They've all been sinners. Yeah, oh my, I heard that. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, you, me, everybody in this room, everybody watching, everybody. And we can compare ourselves if we want. I know we do that sometimes because we think what? Your sin's worse than my sin. We may even have a list of worse sins. But the reality is sin is sin. Sin de destroys our relationship with God. And it doesn't matter if it's a big one. And it doesn't matter if it's a little one. It destroys our relationship with God. And we've all been there. We're all, we, we've all are sinners. The darkness is in us all. Romans 5.12 says that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Sin came into the world. And you know what sin does? It kills us. I mean, not literally. I mean, it brought death upon us. But here's the other thing about all of this. I mean, it kills, it kills relationships. Sin kills hopes and dreams. It separates us not only from God, but from one another. And there's nothing we can do about it. Now, I know you think you can. I'm a man. We like to fix things. But we can't fix this. We can't be good enough. We, 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 we can't fix it all. We're human, and the desire to live our way, to do things our way, to protect ourselves, even if it means i got to run you over to get what I want. If i got to destroy you and take you down, well, I'll do it. We can't overcome our sin. We need help to repair our relationship with God. If you think about sin, oh, this will be a good one. If you think about sin, think about it like a virus, like COVID. That's so easy, isn't it? <laughs> Well, we've all got it. We've all, it's spread. And the only medicine, the only antidote to sin is grace. The unmerited favor of God. And Jesus came to give us the antibiotic to sin. To heal us from sin. Romans 3.24, right after he says, right after he says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he says, and all are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Yeah, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but guess what? All are justified freely. That means everybody too. 
can be forgiven. Everybody by his grace through the redemption that provided by Jesus. It's just as comprehensive. All of us, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've failed, no matter who you've hurt, no matter what horrible thing you've done, you can be forgiven. Because just as Adam's sin was so comprehensive to account for all of us, so too what Jesus did on the cross and when he was raised from the dead, oh man, he has overcome. And his grace is for everybody. Nobody's outside of his grace. All that we can do, all that we have to do is to lean into his grace. The grace demonstrated by Jesus. This is a little bit long scripture passage, but I think it's a good one. Romans 5, 15 through 18. Look, look, just listen to these words. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, our relationship being repaired, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace. I mean, you see what he's saying? Sin is big. Sin's enormous. It's powerful. It's more powerful than you are. It can sweep you away and cause you to do things in your life that maybe you wouldn't really do. It can damage and there's chaos there. But Paul, Paul said he had a thorn, right? He had, a tor- he had something that tormented him. And God's grace was what? God's grace was more than sufficient. God's grace is greater than our sin. Amen. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You want to triumph over sin and death in this world? Then grace is the answer. You want to triumph over your moral failures? You want to triumph over your lust, your anger, your bitterness, your jealousy, your envy, your your divisiveness? The grace of God can help you live in triumph over all those things. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Jesus makes us right with God, and it's all motivated and expressed in grace to us, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved mercy of God. What I don't want you to miss is that trying to have a relationship with God without grace, only leaves you with religion. I don't like religion. I don't like religious people. Read Matthew 23 this afternoon. You want to find out where religion leaves you. What you're left with is a man's attempt to earn God's favor by adhering to rules and regulations. And you know what? That never works. I can testify to it. I tried. I tried to be the good little boy. I tried to be the good kid. I tried to... It doesn't work. I can't be good enough to balance out the scales of all the wrong that I've done. My ritual and my morality and my keeping rules is never greater than my sin. My performance is never greater than my sin. Do you know something this morning? Being a pastor and living my life as a pastor is not greater than my sin. 
I can't overcome it by even surrendering my life and go living wherever he wants me to live and doing whatever he wants me to do and answering a call to ministry. If I went to Africa today as a missionary, if I went to Haiti or I went to, I don't know, Texas to be a missionary, and I, if I, if I surrendered and gave up everything, if I sold all that I have, it wouldn't be enough to overcome my sin. I need God's grace because only the grace of God through Jesus Christ is greater than my sin. And you know what? That's not only true when I'm saved. It's true as I live my life in Him. Sometimes after we've embraced grace that we're saved, you know what we become guilty of, followers of Jesus? We become guilty of trying to earn it then. I mean, I know I'm saved by grace, but, but i got to earn it. i I gotta, I got to deserve it. I have to prove that what Jesus did on the cross for me was worth it. I have to bring value to the cross by how I live. And that just doesn't work either. See, every step of following God is a journey of grace. And even if after you've been embraced by grace as a follower of Jesus, it's still not about the rules. It's still not about the rituals. The life I live, I live out of gratitude to him. I live it out of love for him. The same thing that powers your, conver your conversion also powers your transformation and growth as a follower of Jesus. It's all grace. We're live streaming now, and so I probably would have in the past <laughs> shown you a, a movie clip, so I'll have to describe it a little bit today because when we're live like this on Facebook and YouTube, we don't want to break copyright laws. But I don't know if you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. The movie is about a group of soldiers tasked with retrieving Private Ryan just after D-Day from the front lines. And I've probably talked about this because it's one of my favorite clips. He, he's being sent home because he's had three brothers that have died in the last few months in the war. And they want to they make sure that uh, his mom doesn't lose another son. There we go. We got Mother's Day in here, okay? And, uh, but it cost a lot to find him. Uh, Captain Miller, who's portrayed by Tom Hanks, and almost his whole squad are killed in trying to retrieve him. And while Tom Hanks' character, Captain Miller, is dying at the end of the battle, they fight, kind of at the climax of the movie. He leans over to Private Ryan, who's played by Matt Damon, and he whispers in a dying gasp, earn this. Then the movie fast forwards to 50 years later, and Private Ryan is an old man paying homage to Captain Miller's gravestone at the Normandy Battle ground cemetery. He's there with his wife, his children, his grandchildren, and he's got tears in his eyes, remembering what Captain Miller did for him, remembering the sacrifice of those men, and his request that Private Ryan earn this. And so Private Ryan turns, asks his wife, Was I a good man? Did I lead a good life? In other words, did I earn the sacrifice of Captain Miller and those men and what they did for me? Did I earn this is the burning question in his mind. You know what? I've been a pastor a long time and I've stood beside hospital beds where people were dying and I've had people turn to me and look at me and say, Pastor, did I do enough? I, did the, I, know, I know God saves me by grace, but you know, I, you know, I did this and I gave that and I, 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 I served all these years in this capacity at church. Did, 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 I, did I do enough? And it's a terrible thing to have to say no. 
None of us do. We don't earn anything. It's grace from beginning to end. God doesn't want you to get to the end of your life and say, have I earned it? Have I done this? God will say, no, you didn't. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by his grace that he gave to you that you are saved. It is by his grace that you have lived. It is by his grace that you have walked. It is by his grace that you have done everything. It's all by grace, unearned, undeserved favor of God. It's grace in the beginning. It's grace in the middle. And it's grace in the end. It is grace when it's hard, and it's grace when it's joyful. It's grace as I'm headed home. It is all by grace. Listen to what Paul said. Galatians 2.20, you probably know this verse if you're a church person. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Great words, right? Some of you have probably memorized them. But you should have gone on and memorized this next verse because you know what it says? It, go to the next verse. I do not set aside the grace of God. For its righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that, I, that the life that I live, I got saved by faith. But I didn't set it aside after that. It's been grace every day. It's grace that will lead me home. I can't live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me without grace. Grace is a journey. And it starts before you're saved. We're, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about prevenient grace. Or what some people call enabling grace. You don't come to Christ by yourself. He's calling you. His grace is working in your life. Whether you know Jesus or not this morning, His grace is working in your life. If you're watching online, just kind of stumbled onto our life, I want you to know God's working in your life right now. And then, and then there's saving grace. This, that grace that leads us to become in a saving relationship with God. It's by grace we turn from our sin and we confess that we need what Christ did for us on the cross and we ask for forgiveness. And it changes us and it redeems us. There's sustaining grace that helps us to be more like Christ and to grow. There's sufficient grace that helps us through trouble and difficulty. And then, and then as we grow in Christ, there is sanctifying grace. Because we believe that entire sanctification is an act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotion to God. We are made perfect by love. But it's grace that calls us and it's grace that leads us. Matter of fact, grace is so rich and full and complete that there is a grace that we're supposed to give one another. I mean, wouldn't it make sense to you that if God, that if Jesus gives us grace, that if he is grace in our lives, that he would want us as brothers and sisters in Christ to give grace to one another? So we're going to talk about these over the next few weeks. It's just amazing to me what grace does in our life. It's one grace, but it's experienced in so many different levels and so many different changes on our journey. Different ways of experiencing grace, but it's all grace from start to finish. When it comes to my salvation, my life, my sanctification, my holiness, anything and any, anything that anyone would say good about me, it's all grace. Did you hear what he said in the video? It's always about him. 
It never becomes about me. It never becomes about me. When you make grace about yourself, you've really lost it. Never becomes about my performance. Instead, it's all about receiving the grace of God in your life and living in it and living through it. And here's the thing. No matter how many years I walk with Christ and no matter how long and far I get on my journey, you know what I'm finding? I'm finding new ways every day to lean into it. I'm finding new ways every day to let it change me to be more like Jesus. Because I have a ways to go to be like Jesus. And I need grace to get me there. I need grace to get me home. Right up until the time I go, I need grace to know that when I'm on my deathbed, I don't have to worry about was I good enough, was I right? No, all I have to know is God loves me. And if I've lived in His grace and I've, it's all about Him, it's not about me. Let me share one more thing with you and then we're going to close this morning. I want you to understand something over these next few weeks, that grace is not something I possess, but grace is a person who possesses me. You, you, if, how do you know when you're loved? How do you know love? Usually we know love because someone loves us. Matter of fact, the Bible says what? That we love, why? Because he first loved us. Because God is love. He's the personification, the embodiment of love, right? The Bible says that. Well, listen to this. There's a scripture, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, very last verse in 2 Corinthians, the whole letter. And I want you to look at what it says. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, Paul, he uses the whole Godhead here, right? The whole Trinity. God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as he gives this final blessing, he personifies each person in the Godhead with a dominant trait or definition. May the, as he gets ready to go, he's, may, the, may the love of God, because what? God is love. It personifies him. May the God of love and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, because you see, but one of the things that defines the Holy Spirit is that he lives in all of us. This is what makes us the church. Same spirit that lives in me lives in Phyllis. And the same spirit that lives in Phyllis lives in Luann. And the same, he lives in us. And he unifies us. And look what he said about Jesus. How did he personify Jesus? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace isn't a bunch of rules you have to keep. Grace, and grace just isn't the lubricant for Grease in the cogs of self-effort. Grace is a person living inside of you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ inside of you. It's the presence of Jesus. It is being like Jesus. You are never more Christ-like perhaps than when you are leaning into and living on the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Jesus came full of grace from the one who sits on the throne of grace. He's the personification of the Father's grace. If you don't have grace, I submit to you this morning, you don't have Jesus. And I submit today that if you would know grace, K-N-O-W, <laughs> then you know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know grace, and to know grace is to know Jesus. Grace comes from him. 
I was trying to think this week, so I'm at this conference, and my son was there too, and uh, I was telling him, I said, you know, this is my last point, I, God is not something I possess, grace is a person who possesses me, and I said, I, I, I'm trying to think of a story to demonstrate that, and boy, he immediately told me a story that I'd forgotten. You remember the um, Charleston church shooting back in 2015? If it's uh, nine African-Americans were killed during a Bible study at the Emmanuel African-American Episcopal Church. Church is one of the oldest black churches in the United States, and it's been a center for organizing events and, uh, which were related to the civil rights movement, especially back in the 60s. Police arrested Dylan Roof, a 21-year-old white supremacist who came to Bible study that night. Walked into the Bible study. They all welcomed him. He's the only white man that was there. But they welcomed him. They embraced him. Introduced themselves to him. Gave him a, a page that had the scriptures they were going to be talking about that night. And for 15 minutes, Dylan sat there amongst these people talking about Jesus. Talking about salvation. And about 15 minutes into the Bible study, as a dozen people stood for prayers with their eyes closed, he pulled out a Glock 45 caliber pistol and he fired 70 rounds. 70 rounds. Before setting bond, the judge allowed family members of the nine victims to speak. And uh, Dylan couldn't see them. He was, he was uh, at another location at jail and he was being broadcast into the courtroom through a live feed, but he could hear them. And the newspaper says that one by one, people who spoke for the victims got up and chose to use this opportunity to say that they forgave the man accused of one of the most horrific acts of violence in their state. One person like Anthony Thompson who represented the family of Myra Thompson. He said, I forgive you, and my family forgives you. We would like to take this opportunity to encourage you to repent. Repent and confess and give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so he can change your ways no matter what happens to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. Or Nadine Collier, the daughter of Ethel Lance, who was one of the victims. She had worked at the church as a secretary for 30 years. Her daughter said, I forgive you. You took something really precious away from me. I'll never talk to her again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. It hurts me. It hurts a lot of people. But God can forgive you. And I can forgive you too. I have to tell you, when I read that, I thought, I don't, could I do that? Would I have the capacity to do that? Am I full? See, see, to me, to do that, you have to be full of Jesus. Because that kind of forgiveness and grace, that is not human-generated that only comes from one source. 
And that's when you have Jesus in your life and he has transformed your life and you've experienced grace and forgiveness and that's the only way that you can even begin to do that is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that he gives you through his son Jesus Christ that enables us to be people of grace. He offers you forgiveness even though you don't deserve it and you never can and you never will. He offers you grace even though you can't do one thing to make him love you any more or any less. All you can do is receive it, live in it, trust in it, and as you do, grow in it to become more like Jesus Christ. I want you to know today he offers his grace to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, his provenient grace is reaching out and drawing you to him right now. Maybe if you stumbled on this online, maybe it's maybe the working of God's grace for you to hear this right now if God's speaking to you. Or if you're here this morning, his grace is being extended to forgive you for your sins, redeem you, and give you a new life. If you're a follower of Jesus, his grace is being extended to you to grow you through his spirit and sustain you through a difficult time. His grace is being extended today to sanctify you and help you to overcome the power of sin, to defeat the power of sin in your life. You don't have to be a slave anymore to sin. His grace is being extended so that you might embody grace and extend it to others rather than be ungracious and judgmental. My question to you this morning is, are you amazed by grace? Taste it. Taste it for the first time today. Will you bow your heads with me and pray this morning? Father, I am overwhelmed today. by the grace you pour into our lives. I don't deserve any of it. I haven't earned any of it. From the very beginning to where I am standing today, it's all by grace. Lord, today, we need a fresh touch of your grace. Father, forgive us for trying to earn it, for trying to be good enough. Forgive us even after we've received your grace and become your child. To think that by our righteousness we make ourselves palatable, pleasant, desired by you. God, all our accomplishments are, as the book of Isaiah says, they are as filthy rags. All our righteousness today is nothing compared to the awesome, wonderful, all-encompassing, all-powerful grace of God. So, Lord, I pray for that one right now who says, you know what, I've been trying and trying and trying, but maybe today, Father, your Spirit has spoken, and they have become convinced that it's by grace that they're going to be saved. And so this morning, God, they want to receive your grace. They want to repent and turn from their sins. And they want to embrace what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. 
and be forgiven. And by grace, through faith, be saved today. To know that they are yours and you are theirs. And to know that living for you, Father, is going to be by grace. I pray for that Christian who has been struggling with bad behavior and patterns and habits. God, this morning, Lord, maybe today you've reminded us we don't get there just by performance, but we get there by the power of your grace. We don't lean on our own strength, our own fortitude, but we need more grace this morning to break those habits, to tear down those addictions. Oh God, today, as they ask to receive more of your grace in their life, would you pour it out this morning? Pour it out on us today. Oh God, would you pour out your grace on our church in these days? We live in a dark world. We live in a neighborhood of 600 homes of people who are going through all kinds of things in their lives and experiencing all kinds of things. And we want to be a light. God, we want people to see grace in us and through us. We want to be dispensers of your grace. So may we receive what we need from you. May we receive your grace today. May you pour it out over these next few weeks. And may we see you do incredible things in our world. And it's not because of us. It's because we're leaning on you. And we're leaning into your grace and what only you can do through us. God, we don't want to be the church that we want us to be. We want to be the church that you want us to be. Because we can only get there by your power and by your grace this morning. Pour it out on us, we pray, in these days. For we ask these things in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen.